Gracious Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And as was prayed over myself this morning by the elders, we pray that this place would be an oasis in the desert this morning. That we would, as your word goes forth, experience and know truly that this is the closest that we will be on this earth to heaven on earth as we gather with the saints, as we worship in song and in word and in fellowship and in the the means of grace at the Lord's table. We pray that we would be inspired and encouraged that we can look forward to this in the new creation, absent of sin, and that we who have trusted in Christ will be there. Lord, let that be the case this morning as we journey through your word. Give us listening ears and believing hearts and understanding minds. And God, I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. Use this this broken vessel for your glory. Use this weak man for your glory. And let your people not hear me, though, and see me, but hear and see you. For your glory, for your honor, for your praise, because you alone, you alone, Deserve all praise and honor and glory. That your will be done in this service. We pray that you are glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Greet you in the name of the Lord and welcome you on this Lord's Day as we continue our series, First Things, a study through Genesis chapters 1 through 3. The last time that we gathered on the Lord's Day, we considered the, the goodness of creation. We learned that creation was not only good, but very good. Creation, as it has come forth from God, is good. God did not create the the corrupt world that we see or the corrupt state of the world that we see today, but rather creation, when it came forth from the hands of God, was very good. We learned that because of the, the fall of man, man has become corrupted. But it doesn't mean that creation or that man in and of itself is bad. There is nothing bad in creation. Animals are not bad or unclean. Plants are not bad or unclean. Water even, not bad or unclean. As a result of the fall, they are cursed. And we must beware of them, meaning they have the potential to be abused. And they can be harmful to us. But they are not bad in and of themselves as they they have come forth from their creator. Creation is not bad in and of itself, but it is cursed. And we long for the day when God will restore all that has been lost, all that we have lost, and so much more. We do long for the new creation where we will be free from the curse of sin. We long for our new bodies, which will be removed from the pangs of sin. And now today, brothers and sisters, as we have covered a large portion of Genesis last week, some 25 verses, this morning we will deal with just two verses. The sixth day, the apex of God's creation, namely the creation of man. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 through 28. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. Then God said, let us make man in our image 
after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God had a blessing to the reading of his holy inspired word. Please be seated this morning. Hello, Damore. Holodomor. Holodomor is the Ukrainian word for killing by hunger. Between 1932 and 1933, Joseph Stalin attempted Holodomor or genocide on the Ukrainian SSR people or the people of the Ukrainian SSR. Why? Out of retaliation. For the people of the Ukraine striving for national recognition and independence. And in that Holodomor, some four to five million people starved to death. Khmer Rouge. Khmer Rouge. Led by Pol Pot, a.k.a. the Hitler of Cambodia. Sought to return the nation of Cambodia to its mythic past through an agrarian socialist utopia. Pol Pot wanted to create a purely Cambodian country. So what did he do? Pol Pot sought to eradicate all minority languages, all other languages other than Cambodian language, eradicate them, eradicate all religions, and ultimately all people who attempted to interfere with his plans of purifying the nation, as it were, of Cambodia. Vietnamese killed. Chinese killed. Islamists, Christians, Buddhists, military leaders, businessmen, students, doctors, and lawyers, all targeted in this process of purification. Some 1.5 to 2 million people killed in what is known today as the killing fields between 1975 and 1979. You may have never heard of King Leopold II of Belgium. But if you haven't, you should Google him. King Leopold II and his treachery are infamous, just as infamous, if not more infamous, than the treachery of Hitler. He set up colonies in the Congo of Africa, enslaved the Congolese using their resources and slave labor. He forced this labor through work camps, body mutilations, torture, executions, all through the the means of his own private army. And through this, some 10 million Congolese Africans were killed during his regime. Brothers and sisters, four to five million killed in Ukraine, one to two million killed in Cambodia, 10 million killed in Africa. And since 1973, 250 million babies murdered through abortion. 250 million. 
Brothers and sisters, this is just four examples of the cruelty of humanity. We have not spoken of the Nero's of humanity. We've not spoken of those who have persecuted Christians and burned them at the stakes. We all know of Hitler. And we should, and should we walk through the corridors of history, we would be aghast at the, the wickedness of mankind if we're not already horrified already. Why do I bring all of these examples out at the outset of this sermon? Because what man has become is not what man once was. What man has become is not what man once was. Brothers and sisters, who are you? What are you here for? Why were you created? Little ones. One of the processes that you are going through right now, and even some of you older ones, is discovering, trying to find out who you are. And one of the greatest failures of man is going through their entire life not knowing who they are. Going through their entire life trying to find out an, ident an identity. For those who have been adopted, there is always a question of, who am I really? Why am I here? Well, as human beings... You must know why you are here, why you were created. And when you were created by God, God did not pronounce that you and I were as wicked and vile as we would become. No, brothers and sisters, when God created man, he pronounced that all that he had created, even or even especially man, was not only good, but very good. Who are we? We are men and women, boys and girls who have been uniquely created by God. You are, you are, I'm looking at all the little ones. You are a unique individual who has been created in the image of God. God has made you. As you go through your life trying to discover who you are and trying to, to go through different fads thinking, is this me or is this me? No, who you are is a person created in the image of God. Why? To spread his glory. That's who you are. Throughout the earth that God has created. That's who you are. That's who you are. I am not Filipino first. I am not Mexican first. I am created in the image of God first. To glorify God first. That's who I am. These examples of the depths of the wickedness of man's depravity are to show us the height from which we have fallen. Brothers and sisters, it's hard for us to fathom the, the goodness and uniqueness of men when we examine the, the annals of human history. But once again, it is evidence to show us how tragic the fall really is. When we name all of the different wicked and vile things of humanity... And then point out that's not who we were created to be. It is to point out to us how tragic the fall really is. The height from which men fell was not the distance from your bed to the floor. No. The height from which men fell was from the very glory of Eden, the mountain of God, to the thorns and thistles of cursed creation. And how great that fall is. The height from which men fell is evident in all of the wicked actions of humanity. And once again, what man has become is not what man once was.
Keep that in your mind as we go forward through these studies. So this morning, with the help of God, we will consider the uniqueness of the creation of man. Today's title, The Uniqueness of Man. Let us begin with our first point, and we have four this morning. Number one, the unique language of creation. In this sermon, we will be attempting to show that man is unique. In this sermon, we'll be attempting to show, display that man is unique. So number one, the unique language of creation. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over every over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, as you read through this creation account, I would like you to notice a particular pattern. If you're taking notes, notice the pattern. Let's go to verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Verse 9. And God said, let the waters be gathered into one place. Verse 11. And God said, let earth sprout vegetation. Verse 14. And God said, let there be. Lights in the expanse of the day, of the sky, or heavens. Verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. Do you notice the pattern there? The pattern is, let there be. Let there be. And this particular language God uses as he calls forth the diversity of his creation. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. Then we come to verse 26. And when we come to verse 26 in the first chapter of Genesis, the language changes. Look at your Bibles, not me. What does the Bible say? Notice the language. Then God said, let us. Not let there be, but let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. The language changes from let there be. To let us make. Do you see that unique language there? Brothers and sisters, this is the only time in Scripture that we see those words put together. Let us. Let us make. It is an indication that there is something unique. There is something special about what God is creating at this particular moment. Listen to this. More unique than the heavens. More unique than the stars. More unique than the waters. All of these have had the same let there be. And yet when God comes to the creation of man, he says, let us make. That is distinct. The uniqueness or the unique use of language is meant to attract our eyes and our minds to the wonder of the creation of man. And when we say men, we do mean men and women. Notice verse 26 and verse 27. Let us make in our own image, verse 27, 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Male and female. Let me read that again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Do you notice that? Look at verse 27, if you would. Watch this. So God created man in his own image. One. In the image of God, he created him. Two. Male and female, he created them. Three. You notice anything strange about that passage? Moses said the same thing three times. See that? Moses is telling us in three different ways, man is created in the image of God. Why? Did Moses feel that we might not understand the first statement? So let me say it again. And just in case you don't understand it again, let me say it again. Moses is repeating that we are made in the image of God three times and four times total. If you count verse 26. Why? Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is driving home a very important point. What? That man, the final piece of God's creation, is unique. He is special. He is something different from all other creation. Among all of creation, he stands out as the unique one. Which leads us to our next point. Number two, the unique divine language of creation. The unique divine language of creation. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Brothers and sisters, who is us and our in verse 26? Who's the us? Who's the our? Is God speaking merely in a third person? Who is the us? What's the meaning of the plural kind of language here in verse 26? This is, whether you know it or not, this is a widely debated topic. There are at least three different explanations for the the use of plural and us. And we're not plural, us and our. We're not going to go through a drawn out one, but let me briefly tell you. Number one, some believe that this us is referring to a heavenly court, a heavenly court that includes angels, meaning that angels and all that God had created in heaven were not only present in the creation, but listen, but were also participants in the creation. Did you hear that? That this first us is referring to a heavenly court where angels and all that God had created in heaven is not only present but participants in the creation. Now, what would that mean? That would mean that God alone is not the creator of all. That if angels are not only present, but participants, then angels participate in the creation. Therefore, angels are God. Are you with me? Which is why we reject that view. Amen? We have learned that God and God alone is the creator of all. Others, secondly, others see the plural us as being The plural of majesty. You might remember this. The plural of majesty. Plural of majesty. What is that? It's the way in which royalty speaks about themselves when they speak. Meaning this. Would the king like to lie down? Yes, we would like to lie down. We. It's just you. Right? They are saying that this kind of language is how God speaks of himself when he says, not I, but we. But that kind of language was first introduced by the Persians 
who didn't come along until way after the book of Genesis was ever written. So it couldn't have been. Martin Luther says it is utterly ridiculous to say or when Jews say that God is following the custom of princes who to indicate respect speak of themselves in plural of number. The Holy Spirit is not imitating this court mannerism, nor does the Holy Spirit sanction this kind of speech. Basically, Luther is saying that's ridiculous. The third view, this is the one that we hold to, is that this language is now listen close, is a rudimentary rudimentary meaning basic or not fully developed reference to the trinity say that again us and our is a rudimentary or not fully developed reference of the trinity the three persons of the godhead now now what do we mean by not fully developed meaning that what moses wrote he did not even understand what he was writing he's writing it But his understanding of the Trinity is not fully developed. He may have been aware, which we're going to talk about in a moment. He may have been aware of it, but a fully developed understanding of it was far beyond him, just like it's far beyond us today. But we have at least a better developed understanding of the Trinity than Moses did when he wrote this. Amen. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, all uniquely play a part in the creation of all things. And and just in case you thought this was the first illusion to the Trinity. It's not. When you see, let us, oh, there's the Trinity for the first time. Not so. What does the Bible say in the beginning? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And who was there? And the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit hovered over the waters. And what did God say? Let there be. God the Father Calling creation into being. The Holy Spirit hovering over creation. Jesus, who is that? The Word. Coming forth and speaking life into, into existence. They are all present very in the very beginning. J.V. Vesco makes this great point again. That, that what Moses wrote was utterly beyond him. Utterly beyond him. What the Jews were reading. Utterly beyond them. What we try to make sense of the Trinity today, even though we have better understanding, utterly beyond us. It is possible that that Moses was aware of the Trinity. These are Trinitarian implications, but not fully developed. And as Revelation progressed, as Revelation became more clear, the understanding of the Trinity also became more clear. As Isaiah was speaking about this morning, we read this here in Genesis and we don't have a full understanding until we get to the New Testament. And then we read back understanding into the New Testament and say, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Let us make man in our own image. The best explanation is this, that this is the eternal three in one, one in three God who is creating, calling forth the summit of his creation, man. And he is made in the image and likeness of God. Which leads us to our next point. What is the image of God? If we're saying we're made in the image of God, little ones, if we're saying you are made, created in the image of God, you should know what that means. Number three, the unique image of man. Number three, the unique image of man. Verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the livestock or and over the birds and over the heavens and over the livestock and over every creeping thing that creeps 
on the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. Listen close. Of all of the things God created, all of the things, a man is uniquely created in the image of God. Man and man alone. Created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, man and man alone. No other creature in all of creation bears the image of God as man bears the image of God. Now, what does it mean to bear the image of God? Does it mean that you and I look exactly like God? If that was the case, then God is is monstrous. Is he not? Put together all of our images What do you have? A freak of nature. This is no disrespect to God. This is clarifying a misunderstanding of what it means to look like God. If that's the case, then we look in the mirror and this is what then what we see is what God looks like for myself. I'm not very impressed if I look in the mirror. So what does it mean? It would be an error for us to conjure up our own ideas of what this means. You understand that? If we look at the scripture and say, oh, this means this on our own ideas, what we conjure up in our own mind, that would be an error. So what must we do? We must allow God to tell us what he means. How do we allow God to tell us what he means? As we were talking about this morning, scripture interprets scripture. God does tell us what he means in his word. So we go to his word rather than coming up with our own ideas of what God means. Amen. Go to Ecclesiastes. Go there quickly. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29. Ecclesiastes, you don't need to, it's just ECC if you're taking notes. 729. And here's what God says. Behold, I have found this. That God made men upright. But they sought out many devices. What does the author of Ecclesiastes tell us about men being made in God's image? The author is making a contrast here between being made upright and seeking out many devices. What does it mean to be made upright? Morally. Man was made righteous without sin. So we get an understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. Man is made without sin. He is created with what's called integrity of soul, the old theologians would say. He is created with the integrity of soul. But what happened? But man sought out devices, many devices. What are devices? Sin. Sin that was not in accord with man's original state of integrity. Sin that was not in accord with how man was originally created. God did not create man as a sinner. Man sought out sin. Are you with me? Are you with me? Colossians 3.10. Go there, please. I need you to see these. Colossians 3.10. Take a note. C-O-L 3.10. Colossians 3.10 says, And having put on the new self, who is being renewed, Or being repaired to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You see that language? The image. The image of the one who created him. The Apostle Paul 
speaking to believers about the work of renovation, or as John Owen would say, the work of reparation by God the Holy Spirit on men. Now, what is this work of reparation? What is this work of, of repair? It is the work of God the Holy Spirit who repairs what? Our minds. To what? A true knowledge of God. What's wrong with our minds? What's wrong with our minds? You ever tell your, 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 your family or someone who does something really dumb, what are you thinking? Right? What were you thinking? My, my dad used to say, not to me, thank God. He said to my brother all the time, think, boy. Never said it to me. <laughs> Sorry, brother. What's wrong with our minds? They have become polluted, corrupted by sin. And they need to be repaired to what? A true knowledge of God, which means what? We lost the true knowledge of God that we were originally created with. Do you see that? We're talking about what, what is the image of God? Well, it is one who has a true knowledge of God. It is one who is made without sin. We are start, starting now to put together a piece of what it looks like to be in the image of God without sin. Perfect, true knowledge. We must learn what we've lost. The Apostle Paul says that our minds need to be repaired according to the image, the image of the one who created him. It is a renovation that restores our minds to its original intent, how they were made to be like God or how God made man in the beginning. So we can conclude that man was made upright. He was given a true knowledge of God. And there is another text that I want you to see. Ephesians 4.24. Ephesians 4.24. Take your notes, EPH 424. And put on the new self. Listen, listen to what Paul says. Which in the likeness of God. Where do you hear that language? In Genesis. In the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Do you see how scripture is interpreting for us scripture? Uh, my uh, sister Ophelia said last week, Pastor, will you be doing interbiblical exegesis? She said that last week. This is what we're doing right now, sister. Scripture is, is telling us what Scripture means. The Apostle Paul, commenting on how man was created, uses language from creation and says that the work of renovation, the work of reparation, is the likeness, is in the likeness of God, or literally repairing us according to how God made us. And what is it? It is a renovation of those who have believed upon Christ that we are being made like God. We're being made like God in ways that we were not prior to this gracious work of God. As you are living right now, you are going through what is known as sanctification. What does that mean? Set apart. What does that mean? No, it means being made like Christ. Which means you did not come forth from your mother's womb like Christ. But what Paul is saying is that you were originally created like God. And God is now, what? Repairing you to do what? To your original state, but better than. But better than. Not just becoming like Adam was. Better than. And that's how you were created. We who have trusted in Christ alone for our salvation are, are, are being what? Born again. Born again. 
Second Corinthians 5.17 calls you what? A new creation. Think about that. And when you, when you quote that verse now, take it all the way back to Genesis. Take it all. You hearing me? Those of you who, who have that favorite verse, Second Corinthians 5.17, who are in Christ are a new creation, right? Connect that now to Genesis. But add to the word and better. And better. Yes, this is what, what God had originally created us to be and so much more in Christ. So we are being rightly related to God due to being rightly related to God's word. We are being made holy, which would imply that man initially was created holy in mind, in heart and in will. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Are you following me? Are you with me? Okay. Being created in the image of God means that man's mind was equipped with a true knowledge of God. That man was sinless. He was morally pure. That his will acted in accordance with the law of God. Why? Because Romans 2 tells us that it was first written on his heart before it was ever written on stone. And he was able to accomplish that. Our our confession says in chapter 4, paragraph 2, after God made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, being made in the image of God, in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, having the law of God written on their hearts, listen, and the power to fulfill it. That's how man was made. Now, I think the question you may still be asking is this. That's man's soul. What about man's body? Do we look like God? Is that still the question lingering? It was for me as I was preparing. Do we still look like God, though, Pastor? You haven't answered the question. I haven't one since. Man is body and soul. Formed of the dust of the ground. Therefore, is that what God looks like? How can man be made in the image of God if Jesus said God is a spirit? God is spirit, right? Do we only look like God in our soul? Uh, Brother Richard Barcellos, who I've taken all of this sermon from in chapter 8 of his book, better than the beginning, I told him this morning, uh, he makes this point in his book. Just as the heavens, this is a great point, just as, the, just as the creation, the heavens tell of his glory, just as his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, creation, So it is with man's body. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Look to the sun. And you will see a reflection of the glory of God. Look, not a full glory. Look to the moon, to the mountains, and they declare the glory of God. Look to the seas and they declare the glory of God. Look to man. And as he has been created, he also declares, not the full glory, but the glory of God. The fullness of of glory is found in Christ, right? Not in us. Found in Christ. How do we know this? Because the Bible tells us. Psalm uh, 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. Which means what? We who are made in the image of God also declare with our bodies the glory of God. Man is created, uh, uh, man is a created means through which man's image displays God's image and his glory. 
pointing to his glory. Not, not necessarily shape, size, but glory. Because we are made in his image. This is why, I may, I may get to that in a minute. Yeah, let me get to that in a minute. Herman, Herman, Herman Bobbing says, all creatures are embodiments of divine thoughts. And all of them display the footsteps or vestiges of God. Because we are physical beings. It doesn't mean that God also has to be a physical being as we are. Or material being. Being made in the image of God does not tell us so much about God as much as it does tell us about us. And why we are here. Why we were created. The unique calling that we have as being the apex of God's creation. We were given souls and bodies to accomplish this task. But that does not mean that God also has to have a body and soul like man. It is like man. But as Isaiah says all all the time, not on a one-to-one ratio. Not exactly how we are, exactly how God is. We are like, but not exactly like. We are images or reflections, but not the true reflection of who God is. Amen? Which leads us to our last point. Man, the unique crescendo of creation. Man, the unique crescendo. I love that word. I use it a lot. Crescendo of creation. Verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Listen close as we close. When you think of creation, all that God has made, what do you look at and marvel at the most? Think about this. Where would you like to travel and why? Here's what most of us would say. I would like to go, my wife, to New Zealand to see the orca whales, okay? Some of us might say, I would love to go to Hawaii and see waterfalls. Some of us might say, I would love to go to, to Mount Everest and climb that great mountain. Some of us would say, I'd love to go to the Grand Canyon and see the vast depths of that canyon. Some of us might say, I would love to go to the moon and see those stars that that would dwarf the sun and earth if we were to get close enough to them. We could list all of the wonderful sights that God has gloriously created. But guess what, brothers and sisters? They would all pale in comparison to God's most precious creation. You and I. I got the chance to drive my wife and my son to Susanville. Still snow caps. Beautiful pine trees. I pulled over and took a picture near one of the great uh, valleys that I've been wanting to, to pull over and see, which is by Donner Pass. And it was brought to my attention. This is nothing in comparison to humanity that in God's eyes is the apex of all of his creation. The Mount, we are the Mount Everest of God's creation. You are unique. Now, you're not unique and special in the sense that you can achieve your dreams. You can, whatever you want, you can do it. That's not how you're unique. Little ones, 
You can't do everything you want to do. I've been trying. I've been I've been wanting to be six foot tall since I was 16 years old. I can't do it. I'm trying to dunk. I remember my, my brother Tony and I were sitting in, were in our front yard. Our court is about nine foot five. And he was giving me the most perfect alley-oops. I could not dunk whatsoever. You can't do everything you want to do. I'm not here to tell you you're, you're, you are unique in that way. You are unique in the sense that you have been created in the image of God. And God calls you the Mount Everest of his creation. And once again, man is unique. He is special. And scripture is our evidence of this. Let's look at a few. Genesis 9. Verse six, listen to this. Whoever sheds blood of man by man, his blood by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. Listen to that again. Whoever sheds the blood of man, whoever kills a man, that man shall be killed. Why? Because that man who has been killed is made in the image of God. You see that? Do you know what capital punishment is? Take a life. We take your life. Do you know that that it, this verse is the basis for that? Man being made in the image of God is the basis for capital punishment. Because when you kill a man, you kill God's image. You kill an image bearer of God. You destroy the image of God. Someone is destroying one who's created in God's image. It's the basis for capital punishment. David, the prophet. Did you know that David was a prophet? What does David say? David marvels at the glories of heaven, the work of God. And yet was given a unique right understanding of man's uniqueness above all of those things. He says, when I look to the heavens, the work of your fingers, he's marveling at these things. Can you imagine the clear nights uh, in, in those Judean hills? When I look at the heavens, when I, when I see the stars, I, I marvel at all that you have set in place. And then, I, and then David says, and then I ask myself, what am I that you are mindful of me? But David didn't stop there. David says, I see all that you've made, but then David has a right theology of man. He doesn't bow down as some of our ancestors do. He doesn't bow down to the stars. He doesn't bow down to the moon. David looks at himself. And verse 5 says, and yet you made me. I love how it begins in verse 5. Yet. I look at all these things and they're great. Yet you made man, him, a little lower than heaven, heavenly beings. And you crown him with glory and honor. You see that? David is saying, this is all great, but you've made us just a little lower than angels. You've crowned us with glory and you've crowned us with honor. Not the stars. Not the moon. Not the sun. You crown man with glory and honor. Wow. Then David returns to the creation account. He returns to the creation account. You gave man dominion over all things. You read chapter 19 of Psalm. You gave man dominion over all things. And he ends with a, with a praise. Oh, how majestic is your name, O Lord. <laughs> There's more in the Old Testament. That's just touching the, the, the tip of the iceberg. More in the, Old Testament, in, the New Testament, in the Old Testament, but staggering evidence is found in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Listen to this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Though he was rich. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. Our Lord, 
prior to the incarnation, dwelled in in perfect perichoresis. Remember that? The, The perfect unity of the Godhead. In need of no one. In need of no thing. Rich in splendor and glory. And yet, for our sakes, becomes poor? Why? For our sake. Because there is something unique about man. What is it? It is that he is made in God's image. God is jealous for his own image. He is so zealous for it to honor him, to glorify him, that he eternally willed to send his son to be crushed in order that his image might be repaired. You hear that? Not for you first. For him first. For his glory to be restored. And we are the benefactors of that. Listen to Paul once more. But Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law. Why? To redeem a fallen and lost race who bore his image. A race that was uniquely created by God, loved by God, to bear his image, to spread that image throughout the world. First John, or John 1, 1. John 1.14, Philippians 2.5, Hebrews 2.14, Colossians 2.9. I'll give those to you later. All of those and so much more attest to the uniqueness of man. So unique that God would condescend to humanity, becoming one of us. Do you, you hear that? That he would go to the lengths of leaving glory in order to restore A lost humanity created in his image. My son, I love my son more than I can ever explain. I'm going to tear up just talking about him. One of the reasons why why I took my wife and my son to Susanville, seven-hour trip, was because I want to make sure my son gets there safely. That's my boy. I miss him. I miss him running around the house. I miss him asking me to play Mario Kart with him. I would do anything for him. Because he's a reflection of not only me, but my father. And my mother. And my grandfather. And my grandmother. I see in him all of those who have come before me. And I would do anything to preserve that image. And now I see in him the image of Christ being, being formed in him. He knows the first 13 questions of our catechism by heart. And how much more God to his creation. If that's how I feel toward mine. God toward his very own who were created in his own image. And to preserve his glory. His image. Why such grace? Why such mercy? Why such love? Because God loves his own image. So much so that he would come and repair that which was lost. It's not because we were so loving. It's not because there was something special in and of ourselves that God would condescend to the flesh. Let us not think that we are so wonderful. God, man, I just, I can't resist her. I can't resist him. So unique. I just love them so much. Not at all. God assumed the flesh of humanity 
that he might restore the image of humanity that was created in his image. Listen, an image that we threw to the dust. To the dust that we were created in. Why? In order to, to attempt to grab hold of the throne of God. We forsook our image in order to, to grab the throne of God and still glory that only belongs to him. Man rebelled against God. Man who was uniquely created in the image of God bought the lie of the enemy that they could become God. We failed to keep the covenant between us and God. We failed in our covenant of works in obeying God perfectly. Man lost that which was he, which, which, that with which he was created. He lost the integrity of soul. Lost his mind. Lost his will. Lost his perfect desire. No longer sinless. Man lost the right understanding of God. No longer a reasonable man. Man lost the ability to, to obey with his will. To perfectly obey God. He was now corrupt in his mind and in his heart. And if you are apart from Christ, then you stay in that state. If you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, that's you. That's who you are. And, and not, only do you, not only did Adam plunge himself into that sin and into that depravity, he plunged all of the rest of human humanity into that depravity. Sullied now with the devastating effects of the fall and sin. Adam, our federal head, our representative, sinned against God. And we are born under that curse. And not only under that curse, but also under the wrath of God. If you have not repented of sin, that is your lot in life. But God. But God. Who is rich in mercy. Sent his one and only son. Who took on the very form of a servant coming in the likeness of men to redeem, to repair, to restore the image of God. He is the second Adam. He is the better Adam. He obeyed the law of God and fulfilled the covenant that Adam failed to keep. And at the cross, what did he cry out? It is finished. Accomplished. He has accomplished what only he could accomplish. Perfect obedience. And his word was shown, or his sacrifice was shown to be accepted by the Father who raised Christ from the dead. And he now sits enthroned on glory. Trust in Christ, brothers and sisters. If you have not trusted in Christ, repent of your sins. Forsake your own righteousness because you are in Adam if you try to do it on your own. But God has provided for us a substitute in Christ. Throw all of your trust upon him. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let us be reminded that he has been our substitute. That as we hold that bread, as we hold that juice, let us be reminded that he took on the very nature of man so that he might restore the glory that man lost. To God be the glory. Let us stand.